You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And I said before, so I say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men of God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to come into your house, and thank you for allowing us to live in a country where we may freely worship you. And dear Lord, I pray that you be with the service this morning. I pray that you limit the distractions, and I pray, uh, dear Lord, for Pastor Che as he's in Brazil with Brother Hernandez, and I pray that you bless their uh, revival, dear Lord, to continue to win souls for you. And dear Lord, I pray that you be with the message here as well. And dear Lord, may you your spirit roam freely throughout this house this morning. And dear Lord, if there is one here this morning that before they left here today, they would come to know you as their Savior. And dear Lord, that they would eternally secure their destiny this morning. And dear Lord, we pray that you be with everything we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we go out soul winning on, on Saturday mornings, I've noticed that it's not necessarily a trend because I believe it's happened for many years now, but I've noticed in conversation that many of those who you meet claim to be a Christian. And you may maybe go to the door and you, they answer the door and you ask them, well, you start the conversation, hi, my name's so-and-so, I'm out from Heritage Baptist Church. But you finally get to that point where you say, has there ever been a time in your life when you've trusted on the Lord and trusted in him solely? But you can tell many times just in the conversation that even if they say they're Christians, they're not firmly grounded in the truths of the Christian faith. Maybe you ask them, do you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? Or, and maybe they answer, I, I think so, or I, I hope so. I'm a good person. I do good things. In talking with someone, you might even ask them, has there ever been a time when you've trusted in Christ your Savior and put your faith in him alone? And many times they'll even answer yes to that question. So then you ask them, well, then tell me about that time. Tell me about that time. Tell me about that holy ground that you came upon. Tell me about that time when you trust in the Lord as your Savior. And tell me about your salvation. This is where the point in time where 
people maybe start to talk about the money that they've given to the church or a time that they've helped the needy or start to tell you about a, maybe a life-changing event that I was saved from a car accident and I believe that's my salvation. But to a Christian, there's no truth more basic than the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we need to know that God saves sinners, and even more importantly, we need to make sure that we ourselves are included in that. We need to know this for ourselves, but we need to know that, know it also so that we can share it with others. If we don't know our, our own salvation, how do we plan to share that with others? The book of Galatians can easily be read in one sitting. It's six chapters, 149 verses, 3,098 words. Many of the teen's eyes get big about this point. 398 words, yes. But don't be taken by the small size of Galatians. Galatians is spiritual fuel. Galatians, on many occasions, has been called the book of Christian liberty, the declaration of independence for Christians. Many have read it and have had a fire rekindled in their hearts. And from Charles Spurgeon to Billy Sunday to Oliver B. Green to Harold Seitler to Bobby Robertson, there's a direct line from each of the ancient epistles to who we are and what we believe today. There are those who say that liberty comes from throwing all the rules aside. We don't need rules. Do what you want. Follow your heart. That's a bad idea. You only go around once. Make the best out of it. The Nike slogan, just do it. Why not? That cliff doesn't look too high. It feels good. Do it. But in the end, hedonism doesn't satisfy. You end up exchanging one form of slavery for another. You drink and you end up with a hangover. You gamble and you lose all your money. You enter into a relationship for the sheer means of lust, and you're left with a guilty conscience and a hole in your heart. You end up like Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2, 16 through 18, one of the books we just went through, who had it all, tried it all, and concluded with a cry of desperation, I hated life. Rules can't save you, but you won't be happy ignoring them either. But if legalism, trying to find happiness by keeping the rules, doesn't work, and this whole thing of hedonism, the pursuit of pleasure regardless of rules, doesn't work, where can we find freedom in life? Galatians offers a simple but compelling answer. Freedom comes not from rules or the lack of rules, but in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The only true freedom is freedom that comes from knowing him as your Lord and Savior. Those who, cry, who Christ set free are free indeed. That's why this little book is so powerful. It points us in a direction and invites us to discover the meaning of life itself. So if you're here this morning and you're interested in real peace and lasting freedom from the guilt of sin, then listen with me as we go through this emergency letter to the Church of Galatia in a message titled, Set Me Free. Set Me Free. More than anything, Galatians is a book about liberty. It answers the questions, 
How can I truly be free? Free from guilt, free from fear, free from doubt, free from always trying and never quite making it. How many of us have been there? How many of us have been there to that point in our life where we try to do everything we possibly can within our nature? We wake up in the morning and think that, man, we got this. That's just the problem. We're on this one-way road that says, we got this. Instead of waking up in the morning and saying, Christ, we got this. Christ, you got this. Because I am little old me. I'm nothing. Some people think freedom comes from keeping the rules of salvation. Do good, try harder, go to church, be baptized, give your money, follow the Ten Commandments, obey the Golden Rule, do what your priest tells you to, offer a sacrifice, light a candle, say the Hail Mary, meditate, use the prayer wheel. The list is endless because the human mind is endlessly creative in the ways it devises to please a God it cannot see or understand. But rule-keeping always fails in the end because you can never be sure you've done enough. If one prayer is enough, then would two be better? How many candles should I light? You can never be absolutely certain. I'm here to tell you this morning that when a loved one passes or when your self passes from this life, there's a way to know for sure, and there's a way for your loved ones to know for sure that they're going to heaven. There's a way for you to know this morning that your salvation is settled and that you're going to heaven when you die. None of this playing games, none of this, well, I need to light one more candle, I need to say one more prayer, I need to say one more Hail Mary. No. There's only one way. One way. But rule keepers can say, can never say that this because they can't be sure that they've done enough to deserve salvation. In verse 1 through 5 of Galatian, Paul addresses the church of Galatia. Maybe you're like me, but maybe when you get an unexpected letter in the mail, you want to know three things. Who's it from? Who's it to? And what it's all about. Look at me, number one, Paul's authority. Galatians 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. These churches tell us that the Letter was written by who? Paul. That word apostle means a person deputed to execute some important business, but appropriately a disciple of Christ commissioned to preach the gospel. In this case, it means that Paul was not appointed by man. He was not elected by some church council. He was called, and his authority comes from Christ. And Christ alone. Since he speaks with God's authority to essentially to reject Paul is to reject God himself. We also learned that the letter is addressed to the church of Galatia. Kind of a little bit of history here. The, the region of Galatia was located in a central portion of modern day Turkey. It was a Gentile region, which meant the churches were primarily Gentile and not Jewish. That point will become a little more important as we attempt to understand what Paul wrote. On his first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14, Paul, accompanied by Barnabas, 
preached the gospel and established local churches throughout Galatia. He taught the new believers the basic Christian faith, appointed leaders, and then he would move on to the next town, kind of doing the same thing over and over. More, be a modern-day church planter. He taught the new believers that here's what you, what you believe. Here's the doctrine that you move forward with. Sometimes after he left, a group of Jewish Christian converts from Jerusalem came into the region, claiming to speak from the original apostles in Jerusalem. Over time, these people spread rumors that Paul was not a real apostle. And that he was not preaching a full or complete gospel. In particular, these young Galatian believers, they told him that they needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. That came as a shock since circumcision was essentially a Jewish practice connected with the Old Testament law. They evidently also attempted to get the Galatians to mix their Christian faith with part of the Old Testament law. However, these false teachers must have been persuasive. It is clear from the letter that the Galatians were at best badly confused and at worst were almost completely seduced by these Judaizers. Which is the name given to the so-called Jewish Christian converts who were, in fact, perverting the gospel they claimed to believe. So let's look at this Jesus only versus Jesus plus salvation. To Paul, this was no small issue. He preached a Jesus only gospel. Another term for that is justification by faith alone apart from the works of the law. He taught that the way of salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. However, these Judaizers came through and they taught a Jesus plus religion. They didn't deny that Jesus was the Son of God and they didn't deny his death and resurrection. They didn't preach against believing in him. But they in essence said, what Christ started... You've got to finish. What Christ started, you've got to finish. In Paul's mind, there was, this was nothing less than an attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the Judaizers were, prevailed, his work would, would have all been done in vain. The doctrine of, of grace itself was at stake in this controversy. It came down to a simple question. Are you saved by believing or are you saved by achieving? When Paul heard about the attacks, many, many by these false teachers, he sat down to write this epistle. And in many ways, it's just that. It is an emergency letter to the church of Galatia, saying, hold up. If you go down that path, you're going to destruction. The tone of this letter is personal, it's passionate, but in the end, it's, it's to the point. Paul didn't beat around the bush. He went straight to the source. And told them exactly what they were doing. More than any other letter, he pours out his heart and his soul as he pleads for the young converts not to be led astray by the clever, charismatic Judaizers. And their dangers and deceptive heresy. Look at me number two, Paul's affliction. Galatians 1, verse 3 and 5. Or 3 through 5. Grace be to you and preach from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is so concerned that he puts a statement of the gospel right at the beginning of this letter. 
right at the front door of this letter. These verses tell us that the gospel is centered around one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we speak of the gospel as if it were what happens to us. For instance, I can accept Christ and be saved. I can have peace, joy, and love. I can have a personal relationship with Christ. As good as those things are, those things are not the gospel. The gospel is not about us. It's about what God has done for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is about the death and resurrection of our Lord. Those events were happened over 2,000 years ago. Jesus came to the earth on a divine rescue mission to save you and I. He came by the will of God and his death and resurrection brought great glory to his Father. Through him, all benefits of the gospel flow freely to everyone who believes in him. Many times that I would say that many times adults question children when they come and they say at the age of five or even four and say, I trusted in Jesus Christ today, but who are we? Who are we to say that they didn't? I would tell you as a six-year-old little boy, I knew exactly what I was doing. I knew exactly what I was doing. I was putting my faith and trust in the one who I knew could save me. Look at me at number three, Paul's accusation. Galatians is unique among Paul's letters because it's the only one that does not contain a word of thanksgiving to his readers. In every other case, Paul takes a verse or two or three and gives thanks to his readers. Not this time. He is so concerned for their spiritual welfare that he jumps right to the heart of the letter. There's no time for anything else. It's, I got to get to the point. Look at me in Galatians 1, 6 and 7. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and that would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul's astonished. And his astonishment comes from the fact that these very believers that he had discipled are now turning their backs on the gospel. One has to think that I, that I, I thought I had taught the truth. Had they not gladly listened? Did they not welcome the truth and gospel into their hearts? How then could they so quickly be deceived? That word removed in this case, it meant that the Galatians were leaving the gospel of grace for the gospel of salvation by works. But if you really think about it, that gospel is not a gospel at all. It's a man-centered attempt to attain salvation. And as such, it appeals to our natural pride and our desire to think that we have something to contribute to our own salvation. Grace to the flesh is counterintuitive in that it goes against the grain of what the flesh naturally thinks. Grace teaches us that there is nothing we can do to merit our salvation, that our own efforts to attain salvation by doing good works actually moves us in the wrong direction. But until we get to that point where we are willing to give up our try-harder attitude 
and simply cry out to God's mercy, we can never be saved. Until we get from that point of thinking that I have something to do with that salvation, from the point where we get to, I need to keep helping the needy, or I need to continue doing all these community hours, or I need to keep saying so many Hail Marys, or I need to light one more candle, say one more prayer, until we get from that point to think that we, little old me, have something to do with my own salvation, we'll never make it there. Every single one of us have come to that point, if you're a Christian here this morning. Every single one of us have come to that point where we cry out to God and say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. We must admit that we are powerless to change, that we are in the grip of something that will destroy us. Sin has us in a grip, and no amount of religious activity or self-reformation can save us from ourselves. We are doomed and damned unless Christ rescues us from our own sin. This is a shocking truth that many just can't accept. Especially in the world we live in today. In the world we live in today, it's more and more. I need more power. I need more power. I need more power. I need to see what I can become of myself. That's why grace is counterintuitive. It forces us to admit that what well, we don't want to admit. That we're in trouble and there's nothing we can do to help ourselves. However, these, these false teachers, these Judaizers, tapped into that natural desire we all feel that makes us think that we can contribute something to our own salvation. In this case, of the Galatian believers, it was circumcision and the works of the law. For us, it may be something equally good in itself. Maybe we're trusting in, maybe at some point in time you, you, you got baptized and you think that's your salvation. Or maybe you think church attendance is what saves you. Or giving to missionary work or helping the poor or even just reaching out to the hurting. I'm here to tell you, friend, that's not the answer. Those are all great things and those are things that you should continue doing after you do have salvation, but that's not your salvation. Until you can come to that point and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. And dear Lord, I, I, I know that the wages of sin is death, and I deserve death because of it. I deserve to essentially spend an eternity in hell. But Lord, you sent your son, your only begotten son, to this nasty old earth, to die a perfect man, to take away all my sins. Until you can come to that point, you'll never have salvation. But that's the deceitful nature of this false doctrine. It takes something that's good and attaches the, that good thing to finished works of Christ as a condition for salvation. Thus, does something good actually become a condemning heresy. It's clear that Paul will, will not tolerate this false teaching in the church. If we tolerate false teaching about the gospel, we actually are deserting Christ himself. <laughs> this is no small issue. It's either salvation by Christ alone or there's no salvation at all. There is no such thing as a work salvation. There's one way and the only way. God doesn't have a plan B 
For those who don't want to be saved by faith in Christ alone, I'm sorry, there's no other way. I know we live in a world where we want options. There are no options. There's one. Pick A or pick none. Look at me number four. Paul's issues with the Galatians. Verse 8 and 9. But though we are, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. These are some of, the, some of the strongest words in the New Testament. That key phrase, let him be accursed. It means to condemn to, construct, to, to destruction. Here Paul declares that anyone, including himself, who preaches any other gospel than the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus alone should be condemned to utter destruction. In Galatians 1, those words are coming from a man writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What Paul wrote, God told him to write. It's a clear rejection of the multiple ways that people think they can get to heaven. Or the notion that, well, all roads lead to the same place. Sorry. That navigation don't work. There's only one way, and that is through grace, through faith, and Jesus Christ alone. In the world we live in today, these, these words are, and these verses may not be popular, but they're as true today as they were 2,000 years ago. Look at me, number five, Paul's motive. Galatians 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men of God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be a servant of Christ. This verse adds a key point. Paul wrote it as he did because he cared deeply for this church at Galatia. He cared so much that he, he dared to tell them the hard truth. He dared to tell them that these Judaizers have come upon them with a false doctrine. It would have been easy just to overlook the issue or just say, well, there goes another church. But Paul cared so much for them, but more importantly, cared for their souls. He cared for their eternity. And he didn't take the easy way out. He didn't say, well, oh, well, that's, that's a conversation I don't want to have. He risked everything, including their relationship and their friendship, in order to save them from an eternal destruction. Because he cared more for the approval of God than the approval of man. He didn't care what he was going to do to the men. Well, I mean, he cared, but he didn't care to the point where telling them the truth was what they needed to hear. And if they lost a friendship over it, then okay. But he had enough heart to go to them and tell them exactly what they needed. Because he cared more, again, for the approval of God than of men. We should all be as bold as to speak the truth every day. Not caring what your coworkers might say. 
teens, not caring what your fellow students might say. Not caring that you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be made fun of. But who cares? You told them the truth. And once they, once they have heard the word, they have no excuse. They've heard the gospel of Christ. Let's wrap up today's message with the application for our lives. So what does this all mean for us? Even Christians are not safe from false doctrine. Take nothing for granted. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light for that very purpose. He is looking for every single way he can trip you up. If he can pull you from your faith, he's won the war. He comes after us as Christians more than he does the lost people. Because in the end, his biggest thing is to defeat Christ. And if he can take one more soul with him, then he takes one more soul with him. That's what he's out for. He's out to destroy the churches. He's out to destroy you and I. He's out to destroy your families. But many times we don't see it and we allow it. We allow it in the way we, what we watch on television. We allow it on letting our children just roam through the internet. We allow our children to disrespect us. We allow our children to run the home. All the while letting in Satan to control our home. Be on guard for your friends. Be on guard for your family. And be on guard for those new believers. When you win somebody to Christ, it, it should be your mission to disciple them. If Paul's converts could be seduced, the same thing could certainly happen to those folks we lead to Christ. Number two, standing for truth demands that we expose error when doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone are at stake. When that doctrine is denied or challenged or even when it's watered down, it's, it's time to march. As the hymn states, onward Christian soldier, marching as to war. This hill is worth fighting, and it's worth dying on, if that's what it comes to. Paul certainly felt that way, and as a Christian, we should too. Number three, not everyone who claims to be a Christian is. This is an obvious truth that perhaps even more so needs to be repeated today. In Matthew 7, 21 and 23, Jesus warns about people who work miracles and claim to be his followers, but in the day of judgment, he will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Lest we take that too lightly, ponder the thought that those words might one day be directed at you and I personally. Can you imagine? You stand before Christ and he says, depart from me. Depart from me, I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity, make your own decision. 
Before you point the finger, make sure that you're not among those who claim to be something you're not. Number four, God still pronounces a curse on anyone who adds anything to the simplicity of the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, this is not a popular statement in today's world. But it's exactly what Paul is teaching. Anyone who preaches any other gospel than that of the New Testament is under a curse from God. That's not a good place to be in. Not a place I'd want to be in. There's only one gospel. There's only one Savior. There's only one way of salvation. Let those who preach the Bible as a myth, let those who proclaim a do-it-yourself salvation, let those who deny the narrow road to heaven, let those who add to the gospel, let those who say that Jesus never lived, let those who say that there's no such thing as an absolute truth, let those who claim that the tolerance is more important than truth, let those who mock the followers of Christ, let those who say that's just your opinion when told that Christ is the only Savior. If they will not repent, if they will not turn from their evil teachings, then the Bible says, let them all be accursed. That's the word of God. That's, the, that's not me. It says right there, let him be accursed. This is God's judgment on false teachers and those who believe those false teachings. Jesus makes all the difference in the world. But where does this leave us? One thing is clear in the letter to Galatia. Your relationship to Jesus Christ makes all the difference in the world. Ultimately, nothing else matters. If you ain't got that settled, you ain't got life settled. We must run to Jesus as our only hope of salvation. Perhaps I can press the forward, the press forward, or press home the issue a little more. God is satisfied with what His Son did on the cross. Are you satisfied with what He did? Is Jesus enough for you, or do you think that you need to add something? Or you think that you need to add your own goodness or your own works? Friend, if that's you this morning, I urge you, humble yourself. Turn from your pride and come to this old-time altar. And cry out to the Lord, saying, Lord, I can't do it. Lord, I, I give my life to you and you alone. And for all of us, this passage calls us to stand strong for the gospel. As you go through your daily lives, maybe you have a conversation, like I said, with your coworker, maybe even a friend, or maybe a longtime friend on the phone, and maybe you start to go through Romans' road of salvation. And maybe they mock you. Or maybe they say, no, I don't believe that. I believe that you got to say 75 Hail Marys. I, I don't even know. Be willing to stand strong for the gospel. I realize that we live in an age that when anyone can express a strong opinion or when they do express a strong opinion on anything, they're liable to be ridiculed. 
or even called narrow-minded. I'm all right. So be it. Call me narrow-minded. Thank God for this emergency letter that Paul wrote to Galatia. Thank God for emergency letters to, our, to us as a church. Thank God for emergency letters to us as a Christian. But most importantly, thank God for emergency letters to the lost. Because a message is just like this. If you're in here this morning and you know Christ is your Savior, you came to that decision on your own. Nobody can force you to make that decision. If I could, I would. If I could force you to make that decision for salvation, I'd twist your arm. But I can't. That decision has to come from your heart. It can't just come from here. It's like Pastor said, there are people who die and go to hell because of 18 inches. Because what they knew and believed up here, they didn't believe here. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistcctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.